I'm Felina. And I'm Summer. And you are listening to Broke and Broken. <laughs> because we're both. The podcast about living your best life by getting real. Hey, broken people. Welcome back. I'm going to let Felina introduce our guest. Hello, Felina here. Uh, today we've got Elektra Stanislava with us. Uh, she is a jack of all trades. Uh, I've known Electra uh, in the music scene here in Oklahoma City for the last three or four years, about four years. Her and I met doing a, a song swap during a girls rock camp and uh, have been friends ever since and I've gotten to know her and she's just a really interesting person with a, a like I said, a jack of all trades, and we'll hopefully get to learn all about all the things that she does. But she also has had some really interesting life stories, and I admire her willingness to be open uh, in general and be open with us today uh, publicly on this podcast. So welcome, Electra. Hi, everybody. <laughs> uh, so first, uh, Tell us about some of the things that you do. You've got multiple jobs, so just tell us a little bit about um, how you spend your time. Well, uh, I work at Sisu Youth, a homeless youth shelter that helps at-risk and homeless youth that are 15 to 24-year-olds. I um, am the booking manager at The Root, so I'm, you know, I do all of the booking for the shows. Um, I also am one half of the Unkempt Beaver, a female-run nonprofit DIY production company, formerly a listening venue, uh, listening room type venue. Uh, we run a Sunday showcase at, at Sauced, where we have like three bands or sometimes comedy. Um, I also am a landlady, so. <laughs> Um, if you ever have a slumlord, I don't know how to, <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do know how to, uh, like stick it to your slumlord. Uh, I write, <laughs> I write leasing agreements and legal contracts pertaining to that. And, um, and then not a job. Uh, I am a mom of a four-year-old. It's a huge oh, job. What are you talking about? Um, that's, no, that's I think that... It just doesn't pay that well. Yeah. I, I think that parenthood is a privilege, you know? It's not It's not a job. Yeah. Um, and I would say I'm a single mom uh, because I am separated and getting divorced, but um, I do have a really wonderful significant other um, who is trying very hard to, <laughs> to wrap his brain around um, a child in his life. <laughs> so I understand, yeah, people who don't have them are... Saying chil- he doesn't have any children. No, he doesn't. That's a big change. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, kudos to him for trying, expect. though. Yeah. It's, it's the, the trying part. That's what the kids see. Yes. Yeah. And, like, uh, you know, he, he likes silly YouTube videos and also... He, he braved Dave and Buster's with a four-year-old attention oh. span just last weekend. <laughs> That's just um, painful. <laughs> yeah. I can't painful do it for me. my kids. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. It, it's just, it's interesting because I think that he has like a lot of like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Why are you doing this? <laughs> and it's like, well, because my son is like my number one reason for getting out of bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, um, doing everything that I do so I can support him as a single parent. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I have all this music. When <clears throat> when I do my shows on Sunday at Sauced and Monday, I have an open mic at The Root. 
which we're in the fabulous route right yes, now. Yes, we're recording in the route right now. Thank you so um, much to Edmund for having us, letting us use the space. Absolutely. But uh, when I have those shows, I really, it, it is kind of like one of my number one coping, healthy coping <laughs> techniques is getting to put on music, see music. Um, I'm a sound engineer, so like I think that I'm a little bit more attentive mm -hmm. when I'm running sound as opposed to when I just go see another show. Um, so those are like, you know, working in the music industry. And you're also a musician. Yeah, I'm on hiatus. Um, but you have a band. I do have a band. Um, it's called, well, we are Electra and the Annihilation Carousel. Um, we are acoustic punk meets math. Um, math <laughs> what is that? Um, so my backing band, the Annihilation Carousel, currently is mm -hmm. the uh, Giraffe Massacre, which okay. is I one, love these names. It's, by it's way. one of the best mathcore bands. So like mathcore bands tend to play with different time signatures. Um, they have like really complex technical. Um, songwriting style okay. so it's not like your basic three four 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 it's not like a chord progression it's not like <clears throat> singer songwriters will write a song around uh, the story mm -hmm. and a lot of math core is it's very few bands have lyrics in them um, and they're very very quick to change up I don't know. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, I say math is kind of like a, a new way of taking jazz theory and like applying it to like metal. So. Okay. Yeah. And you're an amazing uh, singer as well and you play all the instruments. And yeah. I play 13 well. Oh wow. I play more than that badly. <laughs> Yeah, you're an incredible musician, so <coughs> don't sell yourself short. There. Um, <laughs> but since I took over uh, full-time booking um, at The Root, um, I really like scaled back when I play, because um, I, I would do on a minimum four shows. Um, there's been points in my life where, um, like two years ago, I did 28 shows in 31 days. Wow. Um, and I had pneumonia. And so for most of those shows, I had like a left, my left lung was full of fluid and I couldn't right. sing at my full capacity. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I ended up, when I found out I had pneumonia is when I released my first like demo for myself. Cause 33 now, and at the time I was um, turning 30, I wanna say, and I had not put out an album of my own. Like I've been a, session bassist and session vocalist. I've laid down tracks on all manner of stuff. I've had um, I've had a very long running band project. Um, it's we just had our twenty year reunion in <laughs> April. Um, for your birthday party. Yeah. Yeah. And technically twenty years was in like December. Uh, but um, we've put out albums and stuff back in the day you know it's been like 12 to 15 years since we even put out anything but we get together every like two years and 
it's it's that one the Starbillies is like one of those bands it's like it is like riding a bicycle except that we forgot what some of the lyrics are so we had to like rewrite stuff <laughs> they're actually better because we're okay. we've gone through more and right. we you're are, adults yeah, yeah. we're adults so yeah. like writing Evolved. rewriting little snippets of stuff is easier but no I, I use like music um, for myself is a healthy coping mechanism absolutely um, and I try to put music into the hands of other people so now that I'm staff at CSU I don't really get the opportunity to sit on a Saturday in the afternoon and like give piano instruction um, which can be kind of sad but um, we have an acoustic piano in the youth room there and so so you're using some of that to help them yeah. as well that's amazing um, and we have quite a lot of them that will can write some bars and spit some spit some bars and have like really good flow or like constantly are like writing in a notebook or artists and I very much try to encourage um, any of the youth that that is a healthy coping mechanism that is a mm -hmm. creative outlet it is not destructive um, even if your art might be like I had I had one of my youth a couple months ago draw me this beautiful stick figure picture of like someone getting stabbed repeatedly <laughs> with knives. Um, it was not a threat to anyone or right. anything. It gave me a lot of insight into their mm -hmm. brain. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, it was definitely one of those things that like I appreciated it as a very <laughs> dark kind of person. <laughs> But you use your music, and, and I've heard your songs, and I uh, heard you introduce your songs, and you are really open and honest, and, and you use them to cope through with some of the things that you've dealt yeah. with in your personal life. So, can you just tell us some of the um, well, some of the things you needed to cope uh, using music? Um, the first good song I ever wrote, um, I was twelve. Um, the first good song I ever wrote as a singer-songwriter mm -hmm. because I, I have I, I started playing the organ when I was four um, and I won my first award for composition when I was five um, <clears throat> so like modern classical music and that kind of stuff that was always in there but that wasn't something that I wrote lyrics to mm -hmm. so it was okay. really just creating music but it didn't have like a visceral emotional connection it was just mm -hmm. something that I loved to do. Um, the first song I ever wrote, um, I was in St. Anthony's right after a suicide attempt at 12. Mm -hmm. um, it was about a month and a half after I had been brutally raped at 12. Years at 12. Old. That's how I lost my virginity. Um, and I love death metal. <laughs> Because I feel like I'm kind of taking back some of the stuff that happened to me. Um, a lot of people can't understand the lyrics, but a lot of some of the bands that I listen to are like murder, murder, stabbing, you know. There's a Cannibal Corpse song called Fuck, Fucked With a Knife. Um, and it took me a really long time to be able to even like sit down and listen to that. But like for me, it's been over 20 years since that happened. And so, like, it kind of makes me more empowered because I can I can listen to that kind of very 
graphic mm -hmm. stuff. Um, so the first song I wrote was um, my psychiatrist at the time. I had him for like four years as my main psychiatrist. <coughs> he suggested, because I wrote poetry and I played music, that I write a song and I take the story of what had happened to me and write it as a story um, and try to rewrite that into something and make music mm -hmm. out of it. Um, was that really high risk for disassociative identity disorder too uh, as a mm -hmm. poor coping mechanism? So um, I wrote um, Madness of Psyche and it's uh, I still play it once in a while. It's my longest and I get requests to hear that one song, you know, uh, mostly from my DIY homies. Um, but it's, um, the lyrics are like, you're my first, I'm your last. Um, uh, what is it? It's so hard to just remember without singing it. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're my first, I'm your last, I'll make sure of that. And uh, there's a, a knife ball twist into your heart. It drove our passion, Cupid's dart. So pretty much I took what had happened to me and took some of the imagery of what had happened to me um, and made it into like a love song, but like one of those like psychotic possessive, obsessive, yeah. unhealthy <laughs> um, love songs. Uh, you know, the best the best love songs are murder ballads kind of thing. Um, so I wrote that one, um, and it really helped me a lot. Um, and I think it was the first time I'd ever taken anything that was, like, personal and used music as a way to get through it. And, I mean, I wrote so many songs that were horrible <laughs> just you know you're 12 so there well, I've heard you sing that song when I just was listening to you sing it I remember yeah, yeah. well that's a that's a good song it's one of those ones it's like a diamond in the rough a lot of the other ones were very not great um, <laughs> my dog Ophion died um, and I wrote like almost an entire concept album <laughs> to wow. deal with the loss of my dog when I was like 13. But what an amazing it. skill <coughs> to have uh, to be able to have an outlet like that. Right? Yeah. To help process all of that. Yeah. I mean, it's um, truly incredible you could do it so young. I, I have a couple songs that I don't really play a lot because they're more like bluesy. Um, and I don't know, I go with more of the folk punk stuff, but um, I have a song I wrote called Compromising Situation, and that is dealing with uh, the sense of grief and loss of having three miscarriages. Mm -hmm. um, so it was after my third, and I was trying to like, honestly, before I found out I was pregnant with my son, um, I had had three miscarriages, and I was just like, nope, that, it's just not for me. Motherhood is not for me, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to live my life, and I'm going to have a grand old time, and when I'm older, I will adopt because mm -hmm. I want to have children, 
Um, and I've always like really internalized the book White Oleander. Have either of you ever read the movie? I've never read it. The movie Heard sucks it. compared to the book. I'm sure. I'm one of those. Yeah, I'm one of those. Like you gotta go with the book, but um, Astrid, mm-hmm. um, she has a shit bunch of foster homes, and I've always been like, I want to be the mom that she gets who ends up killing herself later in the oh, book. Wow. But I want to be like that, where it's like you finally got that unconditional love and acceptance oh, okay. for a child that had never experienced it before. Yeah. yeah. And I do professionally like give Sisu Youth Kids a lot of mothering mm-hmm. and a lot of like professional love. Um, sometimes you have to, it's very hard. You have to make sure that they understand those boundaries. Um, and it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not like getting all mad at you because you didn't make your bed because I'm a bitch. Right. I, I I want you to have good life skills and you don't really have those right now. And it's like, I don't know, some of them have been in DHS custody, some of them haven't. Some of them might have had good parents and then are LGBTQ and as soon as they come out of the closet, they're disowned. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you never really know. They don't really open up to you. And, like, you're not there to ever talk about yourself. You're there to listen. And, like, a l- there's a lot of, like, well, and how does that make you feel? Yeah. All the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, like, I don't know. Sometimes I think that uh, my significant other thinks that I talk about myself a lot <laughs> when we're together. And I'm, like, honestly, it's because, like, he him listening to me is one of my like healthy coping I need to let out some stuff because mm-hmm. I have to listen to everyone else's and I, have I get to, that yeah I have to sit there and absorb mm-hmm. and how does that make you feel yeah and how mm-hmm. does that make you and feel and you want somebody to say how does that make you feel yeah, yeah. yeah. so well we want to know how you feel <laughs> tell, tell us all the feels yes <laughs> um well <laughs> So you, you mentioned that you went to a psychiatrist and that you were at risk for uh, what is disassociative identity disorder. And and can you just tell us a little bit more about like your like mental health uh, history and as a as a young person? Um, okay, so uh, one of the things as a parent that I try to prevent is that my son has a lot of early childhood trauma. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. We're all trying to prevent that. Yeah, I, th- I think that most people are trying to prevent early childhood trauma in their children. Right. Um, uh, not everybody is capable of doing that because there are external forces mm-hmm. and you, you just try to protect your child, but you don't want to coddle them. Um, but I grew up in a weird home. I mean, I think it's probably pretty normal. My mother was extremely religious. Um, <laughs> That's a common theme here in yes. Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, I actually, one of my birthday parties that I had, the, I think it was two years ago, um, it was uh, Electra's Rain and Blood, and it was... That was the one that I played at. Yeah. With, yeah. And mm-hmm. that was that was where we met Prathiba and, and Craig, Craig yeah. and Fresh Juice Party. And, oh, wow. um, but that was all based on Carrie. Okay. And yeah. because 
I never really watched that movie until I was like older, way older. Um, I was very like sheltered as a child, um, but my mother was very much like Carrie's mother. That's not oh. a good thing. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I literally got beat with Bibles. Um, mm-hmm. I would... Um, you need to listen to Summer's episode. <laughs> you two yeah. have some things about your skin. <laughs> so it's like... Uh, we. My father's agnostic. He's always been agnostic. He really thinks that religion is a crock of shit. Um, wow, so even two extremes there. Yeah, so he would just be like, no, we're just doing it because How that's what your mother... How did your mom and dad get along? Well, they <laughs> got divorced eventually. Uh, yeah, um, okay. But it was it was it there was always it was always at odds. Um, so my father worked. Uh, I mean, like as much as I work, I get that from my father. I he, understand. He built um, race car engines. He was a FedEx courier driver for a long time. Um, he did odd jobs as a handyman. Um, he owns rental property, which is like why I manage his property. Work, yeah. Um, and that's why I know how to fix so much stuff. It's mm. because I apprenticed mm-hmm. to help him. You truly really are extremely handy. Yeah. He, he'd be like, <laughs> this crawl space is too small for me to get in. You're <laughs> going to learn how to solder pipes today. <laughs> um, so, like, I learned how to do plumbing and stuff because of helping him. And I do, ha- I have a younger brother who's uh, five years younger than me, and he would help out too. He's also extremely handy, and my brother is, like, amazing. He, I, like, I think that... For the most part, I did protect him from more of the trauma that I got from my mother and from my father. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was pretty bad about like beating him up when mm. I was younger. It's something that I still like, mimicking behavior that you were yeah, being introduced to. I don't think that he always like accepts that that's why that happened. You mm-hmm. know, but but um, no, like the religion was like I mean everything everything was you're going to hell <laughs> yes. um, and at a very young age I didn't you know because they restrict your learning outside of of I mean I I always was a voracious reader but my mother would make sure that I would never get any sort of religious text that okay. or spiritual text that did not involve Christianity and I created my own religion, um, <laughs> and it turns out it was paganism. Okay. <laughs> so um, when I was older, that was one of the first things I like. The internet came around. I had the internet, <laughs> and I could everything. I could look for all this stuff. And I started learning about other religions, cultures, um, but. No, uh, when I drug my bloody, ripped up clothes and myself home after being raped. At 12. At 12, my mother um, threw me in a bathtub and started um, hitting me even more. And I mean, I had lacerations all, all over my body, but I mean, I was, I was penetrated with a knife mm. and cut up quite a lot. Um, I had been punched. I have a couple scars on my leg um, from trying to crawl away at the beginning of it because after a little while I was just like if I just sit here it'll be done. 
it'll be over sooner right if I just stop fighting um, and that's something that like I have learned how to that one thing it, I stopped fighting I don't think I should have stopped fighting I think I should have kept fighting um, but, but it's self-preservation it, yeah it is and like it's weird when you're in that kind of moment and you do disassociate mm -hmm. um, you're like do I want to die right now maybe I should start start fighting again or um, maybe if I started fighting again I would live and but you don't really know if you want to live or die right you you're just, in that in between yeah and and I mean it's something that has been with me for the rest of my life but mm -hmm. I think it also provides me with a greater empathy and understanding mm -hmm. for people sure um, so did your mom I mean you said that you went to a psychiatrist did your mom or dad or how did you end up <coughs> finally getting to um, get some mental well so my treatment. my mother uh, hosed off most of the evidence and everything and my father ended up taking me to the emergency room and I got stitched up and um, there wasn't really any evidence to collect with a rape kit um, so um, I was pretty much just like sent home after like a three-day watch at the hospital mm -hmm. um, and then I went back to school um, and like I remember someone trying to give me a hug in the hallway by a vending machine who was one of my best friends and I could like I mean they like literally went to hug me and I had bruises and cuts all over my back and it made me cry and like the physical touch mm -hmm. made me cry and like I like had like a completely like ugh, meltdown and right. had to go to this like counselor and I didn't want to talk about it because my mother didn't want me to talk about it because it was my fault right because I'm a woman and I shouldn't have been out and mm -hmm. I was uh, and my entire life I had I had prepubescent puberty so my mother would always be like men are all only ever gonna want you uh, to fuck you um, you know well she didn't use those words but um, she spent a lot of time like teaching me to be like a victim and to be submissive about that kind of stuff and that it would be my and fault to, ultimately. It's your fault, right. Um, Which is obviously a very no. thing we hear. If any of that ever happens to you, it is not your fault. Never. And like, no. It is never your fault. Um, but uh, I ended up trying to kill myself mm -hmm. because I couldn't go to the uh, I, I didn't have help. I didn't have support. Um I should have probably talked to my school counselor, but I didn't really like her. She was kind of a bitch. <laughs> um, and uh, so I had, uh, my mother was a really bad pharmaceutical pill addict. Okay. Um, really bad. Uh, and that kind of spurred a lot of the abuse. She was always like out of her mind on pills. Um, <coughs> But I took I took all of the all of the pills I could find of hers that said like may cause drowsiness, um, and um, got all of those and like was like eating all these pills and then I tried to hang myself in my closet mm -hmm. um, and I had been cutting and cutting and cutting and I was still healing um, from like from the attack but I was cutting right. constantly and I had never cut before then either. Um, and I had, uh, like, I, I really went all in, 
because I, I ate all these pills and I, I hung myself in my closet and the rope ended up breaking. Um, and uh, I think that my father found me. Anyway, I had like vomited up because I had eaten so many pills right. that your body just can't handle that amount of stuff. And I had vomited up most of that. I was really out of it. Um, and then I, I remember kind of doing intake from the hospital bed and I had like a tube down my uh, nose that they were still trying to make sure that like everything was out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't really remember quite a few days and then I was in the adolescent ward for like almost a month um, getting therapy and like they put me on several different medicines over like they would try one and then it wouldn't work it Mm -hmm. would make it worse Um, which is something I've learned that um, I mean there's newer stuff out here now since the last time I took anything but I have a very sensitive chemical <laughs> balance yeah. and um, a lot of the stuff that works with like regular bipolar people or like mood stabilizers, they do not work Definitely. for me. So when were you diagnosed with bipolar? <coughs> well, I was, I was diagnosed with um, bipolar when I was 13, um, but it wasn't rapid cycle until I was a college student. And I was, uh, I think I was diagnosed when I was 17. What is rapid cycle? That just means that you have four or more cycles between depressed, like the depressive states and the manias in a year. Um, It's not like back and forth, back and forth every day. But um, I don't know, one of the reasons that I work so much and that I am a highly scheduled, like everything on my schedule, it it gets me through the depression because mm-hmm. I have obligations. Right. It's not about me because everything is like mm, when you're depressed, it's mm-hmm. harder to get out of bed. Sleep doesn't feel as as restful. Um, and but w- like for me, my own way of dealing with it is being obligated to things for other people. Mm -hmm. So that helps me get through the depressive cycles. And when I do have mania, I've learned over the years, and I probably didn't get very good at it until I was in my mid-20s. Instead of being destructive with my mania, or like going on benders or something. (laughs) And that is also like you want to self-medicate. And so if you go on an alcoholic bender, that's a depressant and so it should help pull you out of a mania Mm -hmm. most people don't make that like self-aware thing so um i will uh just use my mania to be multitask and get as many things done i will deep clean my house i will run and do all of the errands um and and it will catch up to me because then i'll have like be like i will start one thing like booking send out 37 emails 28 different (laughs) messages and then none of these people will respond because they're at work and they have their other stuff and then I have 50 communications I have to deal with at once and I'm like okay well now I'm on to another thing because I I like your mania has passed yeah (laughs) you're not wanting to to (laughs) it can get very intense sometimes (laughs) 
But it sounds like you're very like self-aware whenever you're in those states. Yeah, I am. Did it take some time to get there to like know yourself to where? Yes. And um, well, it's like I don't I don't have health insurance. That is kind of kicking me in the ass right now. Um, the whole thing. I mean, I just <laughs> yes, I don't work a full-time job. I work part-time jobs, and it's not offered at any of my jobs. Um, I can't really afford it. My son has. Uh, sooner care mm-hmm. so I, I that would be a big thing I would probably have even more jobs if I had to make sure that my son had health insurance mm-hmm. um, so I don't have to worry about him if he has a sniffle I normally wait because I want him to have an immune system but right. <laughs> um, like he always gets immediate care on anything but like me um, I've been working so much over the last couple months that I'd be up for 50 hours straight and do like six shifts on like the weekends because I my son is with his father so I don't have to stress so much about child care um I I spend a lot of time working and uh you use that to help manage the symptoms yeah I do but also um I've been like really ill like recently um I went to the doctor like two or three weeks ago and I don't know what's wrong with me yet, and she doesn't know what's wrong with me, but it's something that's very severe, and so I have to figure out how to get health insurance now. Yeah. And it's it's an added stressor that I don't want. Also, I don't want any of the treatments well, that it's <laughs> also impossible. fucking bullshit that it has to be something that's stressful in mm-hmm. America, mm-hmm. that you just need basic health insurance, and yeah. it's such a stressor to, to be and able to find that oh and that's something I find um, working with like social workers and with these kids these youth they're not kids they're normally young adults Um, (coughs) some of them (coughs) just literally had a shit draw in life Mm -hmm. and like um, they're not lazy they're smart they might be experiencing some mental health problems but that in no way like really affects who they are they're amazing individuals like every single one of them um some of them yeah like enough with the eye rolls and stuff you know (laughs) but they're still teenagers yeah but they're not they're not bad people they're not lazy they're not drains on society um and same with I mean, I talked to a lot of adult homeless. Uh-huh. I, I actually just ran out of snacks in my van. And so the next time I go to my grocery store, I'm going to get some more snacks. Um, but I normally will I have, like, handbills and stuff, and, like, I can do outreach. Um, <clears throat> and I'll talk to adult homeless because they don't always have as many resources available to them. As children. And, um, and I also, like, a lot of... The homeless dudes that you'll sit see sitting out at 7-Eleven or on the corner with the sign, um, they're normally part of a larger camp, and very often there will be young people in yeah. that camp mm-hmm. that they then like all of them because they are younger are protecting and helping feed their community of homeless people. Um, it's amazing to see people that have literally hardly anything mm-hmm. will hand the shirt off their back or split a sandwich in half and um, <clears throat> if we had universal health care and all <laughs> kinds of stuff yeah 
then they would be in a way better situation. Well, I'm sure that a lot of, I mean, I know that a lot of homeless people are often dealing with mental health issues mm-hmm. as well, so. Well, and I, I can normally tell the ones I should not talk to. <laughs> right. For your own <coughs> safety. Yeah. But, I mean, I always, I always have mace on me, um, and I do know self-defense. Um, that's something that um, a lot of, I think that if you are a rape survivor, um, going to the gym and maybe taking a martial arts class or going to like just one of those self-defense mm-hmm. classes, um, it can really help. Um, and I just think that in general, exercise makes you feel better, even if you're not working towards a goal. Right. Um, if you have like low self-esteem um, or you feel weak or you feel like you have no purpose, you know, go do some leg curls, <laughs> go do some yoga, um, getting a little bit stronger, like it can be, it, it's very empowering because you actually do have power. Right. Um, and so I, I, I have a, a, I have a bench in my house, um, and I don't work out as much as I would like to. I normally do about 15 minutes of yoga every morning. Um, and I spend a lot of time meditating. Mm-hmm. Um, That's great. Uh, I mean, I only have short bursts of this time that I have mm-hmm. to meditate, so it can be kind of hectic as a mom. But, but that's but one of the things that you use to <coughs> manage your own yeah anxiety like and depression. A and lot. Well, and I also <laughs> I will I will have uh, some severe anxiety days where I'm like hiding behind the soundboard <laughs> because like mm-hmm. the you don't want to socially interact well it's not even that it's that like literally the musicians that I'm dealing with are diva assholes <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like oh my god like <laughs> and it's like I was already having not an alright day and then they want to be like mm-hmm, I right. want this specific thing and like why aren't you giving this to me like my sound is blah 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 or if I hear can I get that one more time in the monitor like ah. <laughs> and so I was just like hot, like be like okay <sighs> just do your breathing down. exercise <laughs> <laughs> and like go to the restroom and just be <laughs> and I think that humor helps diffuse anxiety a lot. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it's like something I will do. If I'm depressed, um, I will message one of my friends and I'll be like, can you tell me a joke? <laughs> um, or um, if I notice that someone else looks like they are not having a good time in a social right. thing, um, I very often, I think that the great equalizer in jokes is fart jokes (laughs) um and so i very often if if i have someone that is new or nervous coming to the stage on open mic when i like especially comedians comedians got got some balls or some pits or whatever (laughs) to get up there because like as a musician you have instruments to hide behind yep Mm-hmm. It's practice and rehearsed. You know mm-hmm. what you yep. you know what to expect. As a comedian, when you go up there, 
it's all based on crowd and the crowd could be totally different you could have brought the jokes that you have been practicing on the way here and then the crowd is like a bunch of republicans and it's not gonna go over well (laughs) not that i think we have that many here but um I very often when I notice someone looks really nervous um, when I go coming to the stage now blah 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 everyone give a round of applause whenever I go to like shake their hand or high five them when I'm off mic I'll be like sorry I farted (laughs) (laughs) and then just pop off the stage and they will normally laugh it like diffuses the situation I normally didn't fart (laughs) normally normally But like that would make I, I me really get everything I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but it takes away some of the anxiety. You're right. I, get it. I, I think that and that works for most people with anxiety. It's like a good laugh, and most people with depression will forget about it. They might come back to it because depression isn't sadness. No. Depression is a chronic. Why is that so hard thing. for people to understand? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And just cheer up. No, that doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> when you're experiencing mental health problems, um, mostly like depression, um, like obviously if you're having like hallucinations, you probably don't want to be out in the general population. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, when you're experiencing depression or you're having anxiety, um, and anxiety makes it even harder because anytime you put that in there, um, the idea, like the fear and anxiety to leave the house or to get into the situation, um, mm-hmm. anxiety is like the worst to, it, <laughs> it is. You, you yeah. imagine that going out to see a friend at a bar, that every, around every corner there is a monster and it's always going to be the worst outcome in your mind. That's what you predict and is going to happen. And it's involuntary. Yeah. Even, you'll try to talk yourself out of it, but it's still there. Yeah. Like the, the physiological reaction is still there. Mm-hmm. And I, I love coffee. Coffee gets me through so much. Um, that's one of the things that I'm like, I'm having an anxiety attack. Hang on. I just had three shots of espresso. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, this is biofeedback <laughs> that induced an anxiety attack. So eventually the caffeine and my heart rate will calm down and that will go away. In the meantime, <laughs> I do this like probably once a week where oh, I'm like, wow. why am I what so anxious? What? And I'm like, I just drank a lot of coffee. <laughs> I normally try to like drink it throughout the day. I start off as soon as possible and then just keep it going. It's a steady stream of caffeine in your <coughs> I get it. But <laughs> now, um, when you are experiencing depression um, and things like that, it can be very hard to maintain a routine um, and to do things that are fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's even if you have to like literally like kick your own ass to go out and do these things. Um, it, it'll it take you out of that. And you might still be depressed at the end when you get back home and then all of that stuff is done. But for a little while, you can forget about that. And like, um, I, I 
uh, I have a lot of friends that, and like I've worked as a doula okay. a lot too. Oh yeah, that was seven, another one of your jackpot trains. Yeah, seven oh. years of doula. I've thought about it. Um, I keep looking at the training and <coughs> not doing it. Yeah, I was I was Dona. I'm not currently. Um, I love babies. I love them, especially when you can hand it back. Right? That's my favorite <laughs> um, kind. And like as a post, like when you're a birth doula, you're there to prevent trauma. Mm-hmm. And I really only ever worked with women that experienced sexual trauma before the pregnancy. Okay. And like it can be the things that are happening to your body are even if you're if you've had more than one baby every baby is different every pregnancy is different and it can be overwhelming the hormones are everywhere um it it, it it's just so much and uh like if you have someone there uh, doulas are emotional support more than baby catchers. I right. constantly am explaining this to people. And <laughs> what do like, they think doulas are midwives? Yeah. Okay. Midwives are completely different than obstetricians. Right. And doula, Everybody has a different purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doulas are there more for emotional support and like um, I, 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 will, I will slip in to the can you take some deep breaths with me now? You only have 30 seconds left on this contraction. Let's just imagine holding your baby and breathe. And like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and that's amazingly helpful. Yeah. And um, and same ones, like, I, I mean, like it. It's not always a man and a woman making a baby. Sometimes it's two women. Sometimes there's the mother-in-law in there too who thinks that they're helping because they've had 18 kids right so, um so you are running interference on everyone trying to make sure that the main baby havers <laughs> are calm and you're always focused on the mother in labor yeah right more than anyone else yeah of course um and it's it it's very like like you're you're normally wearing like scrubs and stuff and um, and I've it, it can it can be very intense so um, and I I do love uh, I've traveled for it so um, I will come out before due date and I will help get. The nursery finished off because it's two weeks until D-Day, and mommy you, you is, don't, is hugely pregnant. Yeah, and, and you weren't <laughs> expecting to need to be resting so much because it takes a lot to grow a human. Um, and father is working nonstop because he wants to be there as much as possible when the baby is there, um, even though he's just going to get on your nerves when he's there. <laughs> that's not, <laughs> that's not that true. I've met my really great My ex husband was very helpful when he was there after the babies were born. Mine but too. Um, he still got on my nerves. Everything yeah. did. <laughs> yeah, and that's also hormones. But like, yes. I'll go in there and be like, um, because I'm a handy woman and uh, like, be like, I I know I know how I'll help meal prep and I'll fix the toilet. And I'll finish painting a room. Oh, you're full I, service. Yeah, I will do full <laughs> service. And I mean, I don't charge that much. I should be making, doulas can make $200 an hour easy. Oh, wow. Um, I and I always idea. do sliding and scale. Okay. 
and when I travel, it's like all expenses paid, um, and like room and board mm -hmm. will be in house, so they don't have to worry about. And you don't want to be living in, a, staying in a hotel, no, two blocks or more down the street from this house, right, where the baby is when you need to be there at like all times. And I don't know how many times I've helped a, a pregnant woman just wants a bath. And then she gets stuck in the bathtub. Yes. And, and it's like, these are normally people I know, you know, but like that level of like, okay, well, we just went from being like friends, acquaintances to like, I've seen you completely naked. Right. Or like, I'll be in the shower. Like, and like the, the other bathroom is not working or like there's only one bathroom and like just, no, pregnant, pregnant mom needs to pee now. Right. <laughs> So you're gonna get close to our song real quick. Yeah. In that and, yeah. And like, a lot of what I do is just being completely non-judgmental. Like almost every job I do is being non-judgmental and being extremely supportive. Um, well, I would say because you're my friend and I've <laughs> known you for a while that that's just who you are in general with everyone. Yeah. I mean, you're not a judgmental person, and you always even when you're having a really bad day and i've shown up to see and see you or run into you and you're having a bad day you still always have a hug well to give. that's because it's for you Felina. that's not true <laughs> i see you treat other people that way as well you're well very kind. recently um i'm on this progesterone or progesterone or something to try to like stabilize my hormones and mm -hmm. one of the side effects is like mood swings and it really isn't so much mood swings. It's just like I'm always complaining and want to murder people, <laughs> and I don't like it. But like, it's kind of funny because the progesterone they gave me so that I won't be that way. Because <laughs> being estrogen dominant makes me that way. <laughs> I I'm I'm like really not enjoying it. I'm always cranky and like I mean like I uh, everything. Being a woman is incredibly hard. Yeah, our hormones really fuck <coughs> way more than they do with men. Yes, they do. Such bullshit. <laughs> well, it's like, um, I don't know. I'm. I wouldn't say I'm sensitive. I am um, sympathetic, mm -hmm. and I am empathetic, but um, I don't know. I normally don't let my emotional state control my actions very much. Um, I went through <laughs> anger management uh, about seven or eight years ago um, because I was sexually harassed on the job in a kitchen when I was a line cook and the guy picked me up by my ass cheek like it was it wasn't like a slap it was like a grope and it lifted me off my feet a bit and I just very casually grabbed like an eight inch chef knife and said, if you ever touch me or another woman in this manner again, like, I will cut off your pinchy berry. <laughs> that seems like a perfectly reasonable response as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And he immediately ran and told the manager on duty, the manager on duty was a man, and um, he uh, started writing me up. Oh, for goodness. threatening violence and I was like he sexually assaulted me right that wasn't even harassment like he put hands right. on me it was an assault. and he was like 
I'm not writing him up for that. And I like took off all my shit and I was like, okay, well fuck you. Um, I'm quitting right now. And he's like, you can't quit. And I was like, yeah, I can because this is a hostile work environment. And he said, yeah, because you made it hostile. Work oh, environment. He, him attacking you had nothing to so do with that, I right? I grabbed all my shit and I went out and I, I smoked a cigarette and then the general manager called and um, called me on my cell phone. He's like, please, 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 please. I was like, no. You, the, yeah. your, your manager that you just got in here just pretty much ignored it and the general manager was on his way up. He was like, we can't lose you. You're like our best cook. We don't have to pay three people to do one job. <laughs> We used to have to pay two or three people to do that one job. And so he's, like, rushing up, and he calls me later, and he said, well, the the thing that he put through to corporate already went through. Um, the other guy is fired. Um, I fired him as soon as I got to work because I wasn't going to let that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had already been on the phone to corporate trying to make that thing disappear. And they were like, no, it's already in our computer. Oh, um, and he said, so they, they're like, you're going to have to take um, anger management class, workshop, um, and uh, <coughs> you'll have to go through that, but you'll get paid. Um, I made sure that you're going to get paid. That guy is fired. Um, you never have to worry about that. Um, we already put a, a warning thing on the manager's um, thing about the way that he completely ignores that. Mm-hmm. Um, so my job, I mean, where were you at, or how old were you at um, this time? I was probably like 24. So, um, flash forward, I got a raise. I got oh, a dollar good. raise coming back. Um, <laughs> because I was like, no, I just, I, I'm just going to find another job somewhere right. else. So, and they, I, I put in a couple applications, and they all wanted to pay me 50 cents to $3 more. And so, like, well, we can just give you a dollar raise right now. <laughs> I was like, okay, um, that works for me. You know, I don't have to like go through training at another job. Um, so I got I got a really big raise right then and there. And about a month and a half, two months later, that manager got fired because he was sexually harassing and having like like every server. There were, there were six servers that came forward that said wow. that they had been dating him or that the, the, and that the reason that they had been dating him in half the cases was that he had pretty much said that they would no longer be allowed to work if they didn't go on dates and like he, he wow. manipulated the situation right. to where he could use He's his position of authority yeah. to like get into women's pants and mm-hmm. he ended up getting fired for that. Good. He's a piece of shit. And I, but I did learn one really good thing in that stupid ass anger management class. Um, and I, I, I say it a lot, and it's one of my daily mantras, and I've repeated a lot right now because of my hormonal <laughs> state. But um, it's okay to feel angry. It is not okay to act angry. <laughs> and so it's a good yeah. mantra. Yeah. yeah, it's okay to feel. And I say that a lot. You know, it's I a, think I feel guilt for feeling angry sometimes. Yeah. You know, but that's that's a good mantra because I certainly don't want to behave that way. But to remind yourself it's okay to feel it because it, it's human. It's normal. Yeah. yeah. Well, and um, my son, he's four. Um, he has a huge emotional vocabulary 
I feel that like a lot of parents around now are realizing that deciding that a girl or a boy gets this or that is completely stupid. I've always been like, fuck your gender. Mm -hmm. Um, I can probably bench press more than you. Um, I, you know, I hate mansplaining. I will, I'm a horrible woman-splainer though. I very often am pedantic as fuck. Um, but my son, um, I always like have tried through his entire life because no matter what, with children, um, you can't protect them from external forces, but you can be that person that they always know is on their side, that's always supportive, that always is going to listen, that is going to provide unwavering, unconditional love their entire life. And so no matter what external traumas, as the world we live in is every day, is there a school shooting? Is there, there's people around the world dying. There's brutality everywhere, um, everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so I can't protect him and shield him from the outside world. But um, I can always make sure that he knows that I'm there to listen. Yeah, I mean, I'm there for hugs. It's okay for him to cry. It's okay for him to feel. It's okay for him to feel angry. It's not okay for him to act angry. Um, and I will. I teach him um, breathing techniques and meditation stuff. I'm not. I, I'm not a spanker. That's abuse. It's not discipline. Um, not that I haven't wanted to, <laughs> but I know it's a short-term fix that will cause long-term repercussions that are not conducive to a human being a good human later in life. Yeah. <coughs> well, if you had anything to say to your youth that you're treating or that you're with or to other women who've gone through some of the same things that you have been through, what would you say? What advice would you give? Because um, you, to me, seem very healthy to handle all of the things that you've dealt with in a very healthy way and and are very open and upfront and honest about who you are and I find it admirable um what I what I say a lot and it's it's always a little different because it's who you're talking to but um you're strong you're capable, you are allowed to be who you are, you deserve happiness, and you deserve what you want. If you set goals that are achievable, you can create and sustain and hit your dreams. Um, you are enough. That's, that's incredible. So. So, in closing, do you have any projects or organizations you want to promote? Um, CSU Youth is awesome. We're having our um, big uh, Viva La CSU on October 5th at the IAO Gallery. It's our biggest fundraiser of the year. Um, so, that pretty much sustains us and keeps us open seven days a week. Um, the Root is inclusive. I'm the booking manager. We're highly inclusive. Um, I didn't really get into it, but um, because of my own like history and everything, um, I have a 
giant blacklist of performers that do not get booked okay. because they are abusive, uh, have raped um, or assaulted, or um, there's a couple on there that are just known to steal gear, but it very clearly says that's why they're on there, right. not because they are, uh, um, but at the root, it, I, I get, I get um, messages from women and men all over Oklahoma uh, about, you know, this person has an assault record, here's the report. Okay. So it's not just like word of mouth, mm -hmm. I'm spreading rumors. These are like fact-checked uh -huh. things. Um, so The Root is a safe place. The Root is queer-friendly uh, because I'm queer as fuck. <laughs> um, and we're very open and chill. So, you know, come out and have a couple of drinks. We have non-alcoholic beverages too. Um, and you so got we, Monday night, open mic night. Yeah, my open mic is Monday. That's a variety mic. Mm -hmm. It's uh, sign up at six, runs until 11, 11.30, because immediately I go to Sisu right after. So please come and make me laugh and share your music with me. <laughs> um, it is selfish. I want to hear you so mm -hmm. I can go and not talk about myself and listen to other people's <laughs> problems and go, and how does that make you feel? Right. Uh, let me send you to this resource. Let me navigate the Embark bus system uh, and tell you how to get there. Um, so come out to my open mic on Mondays at the Root. Do you uh, have any songs that you would want uh, to share with anybody that you have recorded? <coughs> Well, um, we could put at the end of the episode. I did just release a song yesterday. Okay, um, tell us a little bit about it, and then we'll. That's called Puzzle Grass. Um, I was trying to write a song different than how I normally write a song, so I went on a vacation. I was breast breastfeeding, weaning my son. Mm -hmm. He breastfed for 29 months. So after trying and trying and trying. I just said I have to go for like 48 hours yeah. and like let them dry up a little bit more. Um, so I went and I wrote several different songs and this one's the chill one. <laughs> um, the, the artwork I had Maddie Zub draw for me is me sharing a Fiber One lemon bar with a coyote <laughs> which is actually what happened um, and that's in the song. Um, but I, I do have, uh, on Spotify and all of the stuff I have under my breath, um, and it's got a lot more songs. It's very lo-fi and DIY, and I had pneumonia when I recorded it, um, but it's got 12 songs on it, and I, I believe that Compromising Situation, which is my song that I dealt to wrote to deal with miscarriages is on there um, and uh, it's got quite a few dealing with uh, being in a long-term relationship and <laughs> 16 and a half years before so um, well, what will the name of the one song that you just released be what is that that's called puzzle grass Leaves of change float and drift on the breeze. Autumn wind circles in the race to the
brokebrokenpodcast at gmail.com. The Broken Broken Podcast can be found on Twitter at Broke Broken Show, on Instagram and Facebook at Broke Broken Podcast.